Hi, I'm Andrew Muir, Creative Director at Ardent Theatre. If you enjoy this show, please share, subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening. What would you do to defend your rights? Would you give up your job? Your home? What about somebody else's rights? Would you sacrifice years of your life for people you've never met, who live on the other side of the world? This is Mary Manning. They used to throw things out the windows at us, like tea bags and tomatoes and stuff and cups of tea down top of us. And this is Vonnie Monroe. As time was going on, it was getting more difficult because I couldn't pay my mortgage and I had to go to my mortgage provider and just ask them for some leniency. Back in the 1980s, both Mary and Vonnie worked at Dunn's, a well-known Irish department store. And in 1984, they went on strike to defend their right not to sell goods from apartheid South Africa. What began as a local dispute would become an epic struggle over a fundamental human right, equality before the law, regardless of the colour of your skin. Their journey would ultimately see them push Ireland to become the first Western nation to ban apartheid imports. But first, they'd be assaulted by colleagues, condemned by the church, and even branded terrorists. I'm Andrew Muir, and this is Activism in the 80s, a podcast series in which we will be charting the protests, activism, and culture wars that changed millions of lives in Britain, Ireland, and beyond, starting in Dublin in 1984. Here's Mary Manning. I was working in Dons, obviously, at the time. My 21st had been nine, ten days before the strike actually started. Dunn's was a very strange place to work for. Nearly all the managers would have been young male and a lot of the people who worked there were young women. So there was that kind of a structure there where it came from the top and it filtered down the management. They were bullies really in the end. But I had been working for about a year and a half, two years there, I'd say. Maybe yeah, about a year and a half at that stage. How old were you? I just turned 21. Just turned just 21. Turned 20, that literally on the 8th of July was okay. my, my 21st birthday. So I was into just going out on a Friday, a Thursday, Friday evening. And what, what kind of a shop is Dunn's? It's a department store. So they do have a clothing section, but we were working in the grocery part. That's where the, the strike actually started, in the grocery section. They are still one of the biggest companies in Ireland. They're really well known. Ben Dunn at the time would have been well known all over Ireland. And we had had previously, in the previous weeks before the strike ever started, we had tried to get meetings with the management because of the way we were treated in there. Like, I couldn't sit and call Vonnie Vonnie. I had to call her Miss Monroe or I had to call, like, you couldn't call each other by the first name. If you wanted to go to the bathroom, you can imagine there was about eight or nine tills across one of the entrances. You told whoever was the manager that was on that day you needed to go to the bathroom. But if eight of those other people on the tills wanted to go before you, you went in a rota. So you had to wait until someone came. Relief, they used to call them. Relief the first person. They went up to the bathroom, three flights of stairs, came back down. That relief came off, went on to the second one. If you were three minutes late, you were brought up to the office. If your tills were all under, by, I think it was only a pound at the time. So there was loads of things, issues that we wanted to have meetings about with the management and they just wouldn't. They just refused to even talk to us. So that was the kind of atmosphere that Dunn right. had at the time. Okay, and 1984 and Dublin. I mean, now 2023, Dublin, stags, hens, everyone, it's party city. Bonnie, what was Dublin like in 1984? It wasn't as busy as it is now. We didn't have stags and hens at that time. You'd have your tourism, which was always healthy in, in Ireland. But it was pretty mundane. It, I was 27 years of age. I had a three-year-old daughter and I was separated. And for me, my life was just looking after my daughter. 
I worked in the office in Duns. I had been working in Duns for, at that point, probably almost 10 years. But the same management crew were there. It wasn't any different working in the office. You still had the same sort of hierarchy. Looking down on you, really. Did you know each other before? There was a big crew of people there, but we didn't socialise at that time. We were colleagues in work as such. I never socialised much because I had to go home to Leah, my daughter. So for me in 84, living in Dublin was just survival, really. I was literally only separated at the time and I was getting on my feet. I had a home and I was keeping that going as well. I was paying a mortgage. But overall, Dublin wasn't a bad place to live. Can we move on to that moment where you, Mary, said, no, I'm not going to handle this, this product, which was the beginning. It was a grapefruit, is that correct? Two grapefruits. <laughs> Two grapefruits, <laughs> Two grapefruit. yeah. Tell us about that moment. I mean, the background of the strike, the union policy came from our union. They had taken a vote at the AGM at Easter of that year to boycott South African goods. So this letter went around. It was IDATU at the time. It's now Mandate Trade Union. And Karen Guerin, who was the shop steward, came in, read it out. We didn't even know what was South African. We didn't know what apartheid was. None of us knew. But because of what was happening in the store before this, we had weeks and weeks of them just not wanting to meet with us. People being bullied all the time. So when this policy came in, we thought, great, we're just going to say no. Like It was more to get against the management. And actually what the management then did was they put us on tills. So anybody who said that they were going to refuse to handle the South African goods was put on a till with management standing behind us. Where they would have to Where then it was handle. only a matter of time before someone actually... So I saw this woman coming towards me and she had two grapefruit in her basket and I was going, go away. <laughs> she came up to me and I just said to her, look, I'm sorry, it's union policy. And if she'd questioned me any more about my part that what was happening in South Africa, I wouldn't have been able to tell her. Um, and she was fine. She said, oh, OK, that's fine. So she went off and then the manager who was standing behind me came up and told me to close my register. And I was brought up to the office. Karen, as a shop steward, was brought up, but she wasn't allowed to come into the office with me. So anyway, I just said, no, I wasn't going to handle the goods. And they said, well, we have no other option but to suspend you. And then it began. Then it began. Mary, how did you know... Was there like because, a list by your till well, or something that no, said, this no. is from South Africa? Literally, this... what we had done once we got the policy in, we went around the store to find it. Because it was a grocery store, there was outspan with the fresh fruit and veg. And then there was tins of Del Monte. They were South African as well. So they, we literally went around for a couple of days beforehand, finding out what is South African. I knew straight away when they were when she was coming up that these are two outspans. I can't take these. Mm. It's a massive moment for you, as you said, you must have been terrified, nervous, a mix of all sorts, knowing that you were probably going to say no to this particular purchase. Yeah. That is incredibly strong. I, I mean, I didn't... You're 21 years of age. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, suppose I didn't think about the consequences. Like, none of us did. We just said, no, we're not handling them, and that's it. Bonnie, how, how did it trickle down? What, how did that then begin? Well, as Mary said, we had a conversation about the product, even though myself and Teresa were in the office. Yeah. We had no knowledge of what was going on downstairs because we were closed off in the office, three flights of stairs up in a corridor away from everybody. So it was coming up to break time when we came out and then we said, Mary's been suspended. And we said, right, OK, so we've had this conversation. So obviously we're going to go out in sympathy with her, you know. So very quickly you made that decision. Well, the decision kind of was made because we, when the letter came about, the girls on the floor had had that discussion as well and we yeah. were part of that discussion. 
And the management had told us a couple of days beforehand that if it continued, there'd be serious consequences. They didn't say what the serious consequences were going to be. So mm. we knew it was going to come to a head at some stage. Yeah. We didn't know when or who, but we knew it was going to come to a head. Mm. And the group started to form. It started to grow. People started to talk and it was like... Well, we, at that time, we literally, Teresa and I left the office. We said to the guy, the manager, Mary's been suspended. She's a union colleague. We're going out in sympathy with her. Wow. We all just yeah. piled together and walked out. We had to go over to the union then. There was probably about 20, maybe a little bit over 20 union members in the store at the time, but they didn't all come out. No. And a couple came out and went back in, went mm. back the next day. So it, it was left then to the kind it was of core. To like, the core. Yeah. Mm. And what was this sort of atmosphere amongst you? I mean, you just literally walked away from the store, your job, we your office. We just walked away and we just, like, it's happened. Okay, something, we've had this letter come in and now, actually, something is happening now. So we have to go over and tell the union we've carried out their instruction. And where do we take it from right. there? Also, it was the 19th of July. It was a beautiful, sunny, hot day. And mm. we were thinking, great, a couple of days off work. <laughs> we'll stand outside for a couple of days. Two weeks, we, we, we get out of this. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even think two weeks, I don't think. Yeah. That's literally what was going on. Had you ever head. been on strike before? Yeah. 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 But like that, as Mary said, two or three days. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and then we'd have talks and then it, it could be trashed out. Right, so you assume the same for this. Yeah, yeah. 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 Didn't even really We weren't looking for money. We weren't looking for a new uniform. It was a discussion to be had, as far as we were concerned, around the sale of this produce, which should have really been put back in the management's basket, pardon the pun, and they themselves should have taken it to their board and spoken about it. But they, after the letter, they had obviously got a copy of the letter. They had their conversations. And yeah. As Mary Just, said, the management said, yeah. there'll be consequences. That That's was, what they said. Well, that was kind of Dunn's... Their thing was you do as you told or else. Yeah. The union represented workers in Roach's stores, in Marks and Spencer's, in Arnott's, in other places around Dublin. And they all allowed the staff to refuse mm. to handle the South African goods. So it was just Duns that said, do as you're told. So you meet your union representative mm -hmm. and you tell Brendan that... It's happened, you, the trigger's been pulled. Yeah. The trigger's been pulled, mm. a grapefruit is not going to be handled, we're out. Yeah. So you didn't step back in. No, that was, a, that once, was we, it. once we went out, that once was it. Out, and yeah. Brendan then gave us placards. We got the placards. Yeah, yeah how long was it before that, that meeting with Brendan, before suddenly you're out and you've got day. your placards? We were back to having them for the next day because we were out. We were out that day. We, we were out. The, yeah, it was Didn't early, we? but we had them. But we our first full day the next oh, the day, first full day of being on strike, as we were concerned, you know, it was that day. Incredible. And then so... Did someone turn up first that following day or was it all of you a oh, group? No, we or were what? all there on time. Nine o'clock in the morning you were there. Was your job after that? That was it. it was that was our job. That was your job, yeah. So nine that was five. it, nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah, nine to six or whatever it was, yeah. Out and with the placards. Late on a Thursday, Thursday. night because yeah. um, they opened late and early if the delivery people were coming in because there was a delivery entrance at the back of the store. Hmm. They'd be in and out earlier. But what happened was some of the union members who were delivery men wouldn't pass the picket. So then what they did was they got like scabs or they actually got the guy who used to take the rubbish away. Mm. He then started to bring in goods, in and out goods, out the back entrance of the store. So we started to realise this and then we started to put picket on the back door. Now, granted, there was only nine of us. So there was three entrances. There was a front entrance, there was a side entrance and then there was the back end. And the back entrance was where all the fun was because the police mm. would be around there and no one could see it. It was a public walkway, but it was where Tommy was arrested from there and it was where yeah. all the trouble happened. Yeah. A lot of a lot of it happened there. Vonnie, you go out on strike, you don't get paid your wage, do you? Yeah. It, it changes, it all changes. Mm. Mm. So 
what was that like for you? You've, I know, yeah. You know, that, a was... single mum recently separated a, a three-year-old yeah. daughter. Yeah. Uh, what was that? With a mortgage. It was like that too. When, as the other girls were thinking, we'd be out for two weeks, I can, you know, weather this for a couple of weeks and see how I go. Right, okay. And as time was going on, it was getting more difficult because I couldn't pay my mortgage. And I had to go to my mortgage provider and just ask them for some leniency, you know, and I'd pay them some money. Not my full mortgage because I, I didn't have it to pay. We were getting 21 21 pound initially. We got a rise to 23 pounds. 21 pounds. 21 pounds, yeah. Yeah. So. And I think the, the wages in Duns at the time, they weren't too bad. In regards to Dublin wages, I think it was about 80 pounds or something. Like 80, yeah, it was good pounds. money because we were in Dublin. The union was strong enough to always, for when wage agreements were going, they were in there. We always got our rises, our increments. Yeah. We were always able to get them. You know? So to start with, you're out and you think it's going to be for a couple of weeks. When did you start to think, Mary, actually, this might not be two weeks. It probably would have been a few months into it because initially the Irish anti-apartheid movement came down to the picket line and there was different people came down within the first couple of weeks, I'd say. But then after a while, things just went very quiet because I think what happened was we were a trade union strike, so that put some people off. And then we had the church talking against us. Like the priests in, in Mass used to stand up and say, go into Duns, these people are doing... Why do you think the church was... I think there was too many links between South Africa, the church, and Ben Dunn. Ben Dunn had a huge influence over the mm-hmm. church as well. So I think it was probably around the... It would have been probably October, November. This is after July, so you've got about mm. four or five months. Yeah, yeah, and it was freezing cold. Weather we, yeah. changing. No one was taking any interest. Like, Brendan and the union were trying to get the government involved, saying, like, it's really a government issue, and but no one wants to get involved with it. It's too hot an issue to actually touch. We had people coming up to us on the picket line and telling us, you know, you're hurting the black people of South Africa, you're taking their money out of their hands, and this is the kind of things that we were getting on the picket line. And what changed that for us was Nimrod's Jackie coming to the picket line. Hmm. Who was Nimrod Sajaki? He was in exile in Ireland at the time. He was ex-ANC. He was a teacher, but he hadn't been back in South Africa for, I can't remember how many years beforehand, but he couldn't go back. He was on a wanted list. So he was in exile here and it was Labour youth or militant youth that brought him to the picket line. And he just came every single day. And he actually spoke to us and told us what was happening in South Africa and how black people weren't allowed to marry. They weren't allowed to own land. They had to have a passbook all the time. I think it was something like 80% of the people or 90% of the people were black. And these were being held by white people who owned all, Governed, all yeah. the, the riches in the world, in the, the land. Vonnie, did you start to learn a lot more about... Absolutely, you would not believe. I know you how... said initially it was all about management and yeah. the Duns wanting to go yeah. against, but then suddenly it changes and you start to learn more about actually the initial Absolutely. anti-apartheid. We, we didn't have a huge amount of knowledge no. You know, we only knew where Africa was. Yeah. Heard Nelson Mandela probably. We heard, right, yeah. yeah. But talking about what was time was going on and we got to November, it was getting cold and then we met this man and he was given testimony from living there, what kind of a life he had and his family have. And this was an educated man. He wasn't just somebody that heard a story. He lived it. He tried to better his own family, tried to get them educated as well. For me, the minute... He started to tell us about what went on. Just the penny kind of dropped at me. So you mean because the colour of your skin? It's just the colour of your skin. This is happening to you. I, I, I couldn't get my head around that. 
I used to go home and I'd be telling my mother about what went on Nimrod telling us about that. And I said, imagine if we were all black here now, ma'am. What would we do? We'd never be able to have a house. We'd never be able to mm. get educated. We'd never be able to hold down jobs. I had nine in family and they were all working at this stage and yeah, all yeah, had yeah. good jobs. But that would never happen for us. So Even, did you start to feel very passionately now about South Africa? That's what was and about and that all movement. of us. This, I think it happened for us all yeah, at that what, point. What Nimra did was he changed it from being policy on a piece of paper that mm. the union sent us became real and human that we passionately believed absolutely in. absolutely believed yeah. in. like and yeah. what was he like what kind of a kind of he was oh, very quiet so soft, like he was yeah. very soft but he wasn't one of these people who came and told you know this face. is what you have yeah. to do and he just generally every day he came along and walked with us for hours and because we walked up and down up and down do you remember the day he first he arrived very, I think it was uh, we went out in July 19th and I think he came down definitely within two weeks he was down mm. and was there until the very end. He had family still in South so Africa? We actually, yeah. yeah, when we went to Nelson Mandela's funeral, we, paid we a actually went him, yeah. to Nimrod's house and met his daughter, mm. two daughters, granddaughter and his son. His son, his son is just, it's just, it like, just like, like looking at Nimrod. Yeah. Was Nimrod alive? He was no, he was dead. He and was then dead he died, in, time, I think yeah. it was 2009, he died. Mm. There's a, a load of you, you're all women, with no, the exception Tommy. of Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. Yeah. You've got Tommy... And you've got Brendan and you've got Nimrod. You've told us a little bit about Nimrod. Tell us a little bit about Brendan, Mary. He was what I would call a trade union leader. He was the one that we went to. Did you trust him? Oh, Implicitly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I was lifelong friends with him up until he died. Like he was just, mm. he was as passionate about South Africa as we were. Like we ended up being. And that's probably part of maybe why he, he was so passionate about it because he was there from the first day. And he literally used to give up his Saturdays to come down to the picket line and stand all day on the picket line. He actually got into trouble with the trade union over a few things that happened. Right. The picket. But he's the epitome of what a trade union leader should be. The person who you go to if you've got a problem in your job should be the one person that you can trust and is going to say, I've got your back. And Brendan oh. had air back. Bonnie, well, did we, you go we, to him? Did yeah, you? we were the trade union. Yeah. The members of the trade union, that's who, who a union is. And the likes of Brendan, they worked for us as far as we were concerned. When we went to them with a problem, we hoped that they would be able to solve our problem for us. Now, we did get to a point where the hierarchy were telling us, time to go back to work now, girls. Well, yeah, we there was that happen. moment, wasn't yeah. there? You, you, the big union saying, go back to work. Yeah. yeah. But Brendan never said that to us. No. Never. He didn't say that. He believed in us that we were doing the right thing because he was as passionate about it as we were. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about two years into this. Yeah. A lot had happened to a lot of people. But the reason why that you were told to go back in was because they promised that there would be a check, there was going to be changes. Is that right? No, I think people were embarrassed by it. You've got the Irish anti-apartheid movements and they were very good and they did give us money and um, certain members of the Irish anti-apartheid movement came down onto the picket line. But they had been doing this for years. They'd been doing, as we used to say, their cheese and wine parties. And then all of a sudden, here's these young workers in the middle of Dublin you're making know. noise. Making noise. And, and we were and a bit women. of embarrassment. And we you're women. women. And yeah, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Had they, we would all been, if there was 10 men there, there might have been a different story. They couldn't know? control us either as well. No, yeah. And they told us to go back to work. They told us we, we'd made your point and it's time for you to go back to work. And what about from the workers themselves? You must have had friends that didn't come out with you, did you? Yeah. Well, that must have been I mean, really difficult, was it? I had, like literally, as I said to you, my 21st was nine days beforehand. Some of the people who were... At that party. At the party, walked by. And in the end, because the canteen was three flights stairs up, 
they used to throw things out the windows there as like tea bags and tomatoes and stuff mm-hmm. and cups of tea down on top of us and then they'd, what they'd do is they'd walk in with their, especially at Christmas, Christmas time. I remember the bonus, first, yeah. yeah. What, like, buy my bonus today? And then uh, they just call us names and stuff, but you're just, we didn't care. Call them as many names back. To me, they were the same as Dunn stores, yeah. as the management in Dunn stores. So the management walking by, you just ignore them anyway as well. Yeah. So you just had to ignore those girls as well. Did over time, did anyone else join you at all over time? No. That, that was it. No, those that, was, that initial that number, that stayed at that. Stayed yeah, at that, it went yeah. down a little bit and then stayed at nine. It stayed at nine? Yeah. And, Vonnie, can you tell us a little bit about Tommy? Who was Tommy? Tommy was a part-time worker initially. I mean, I didn't work with Tommy. Mary worked with Tommy because he was on the floor. But Tommy decided he was going to walk out as well. No, Tommy, what happened was we were out in the picket line and Tommy started his shift at five o'clock. And he came in to start his shift and saw the picket and said, I'm not going in. And yeah. that was it. And I mean, in fairness, I don't know how Tommy ever put up with us because we used to drive him nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have a close relationship with Tommy. Even now, I still have a close relationship do with you? Tommy. Yeah, I do, yeah. So how did you get through it in terms of those long days and those many, many hours? And was it on a rotor? How did you to, work it out? It yeah. had to become a rotor because you'd be... Are you there through the night or do you walk no, away? No, most times we finished at about six or when... Yeah, yeah. when the shop was finished. Yeah. On a Thursday, it was... Nine. Nine, and then if we knew a delivery was coming in. Okay. Sometimes we came in early just to catch deliveries to try and stop them. But mm-hmm. what happened then after that was we started to get some support. So people would come down to the picket line yeah. to give us a hand. Yeah. But then people wanted us to go and speak at things. Catherine and myself spent a good bit of time in, in England, actually, as well, going around. Well, the minor strike was on around the, the same minor, time. Yeah, why well. did they want you to speak? It was what to share your story, to, yeah. what mm. you were up to. Well, yeah, it was other trade unions yes, would bring yeah. us to places. And at this stage, like, the strike had probably been going on for five or six months, more maybe, and people more, like yeah. kept bringing you over to places. But someone had to cover you yes, when you okay. were off the picket line. Right. So it became a rotor, like, and it was... And did the store try and take advantage of you not being present and get stuff in and deliver stuff? And There was only one time yeah. I think we ever stopped deliveries for a day. And one t- the day that we closed the shop, we only closed it one time ever. But other than that, on a Saturday, we always had a mass picket. So people would come down and it'd be like a couple of hundred people maybe on picket mm. line. Yeah. Monday to Friday, you wouldn't even know we were there. You really? Okay. So many people mm. going in and out of the shop and bustling around that like there's maybe yeah. four of us in the front. But generally... There was a fall off in footfall because we were able to walk up and down before you couldn't walk up and down, especially if it was a sale period. Because there were so many people on the pavement. Yeah, yeah, there definitely was an impact. And certain days had bigger impacts. Then what happened was, because even nuns used to come up and say, you're hurting the black people Mm. of South Africa. And Nimrod made us stronger about that kind of argument back with people Mm. that way. But the first time that people started to take notice was when Desmond Tutu asked to meet Karen and myself over and he was going over to collect his Nobel Peace Prize. So here we had a black man, a man of the church, a South African, standing by us and telling us we were doing the right thing. So that's when people started to think, well, maybe it is Maybe this is serious. Yeah. Maybe. You met him, Maria. Yeah. You met Desmond Tutu. Yeah, yeah. We met him in... London, he was actually in the airport, carrying myself. At what, at Heathrow? He yeah. was coming from South Africa and he was going over to collect his Nobel Peace Prize. He sent us lovely messages. Yeah. But I remember being Support, in, the, in, you know? in the, the room going in to meet him 
And I remember thinking, how do you greet a bishop? Like, I've never mm. met a bishop before. He came oh, over yeah. and just came over and gave us just a big hug. So that was like, it wow. just, yeah. But it, that was definitely one of the first turning points in it. Wow. It must have been like a confirmation, if you like. Yeah. You know, yeah. a legitimacy. But not for, I mean, I suppose at that stage we knew what we were doing and yeah. we knew why yeah. we were doing it. But for but others. For the public. And the mm. church. Because there was very little coming out of South Africa at the time. I think there was a media ban at the time anyway. Right. Mm. So people weren't learning from the news. And, yeah. And we didn't have social media the way have it now but because of who he was and because of the Nobel Peace Prize people instantly would knew about it it was one of the bigger turning points in the strike Vonnie as time goes on it must have been getting harder and harder and harder mm-hmm. yep it certainly was with as you said my a mortgage was, yeah, a daughter a home. home well that went I had to surrender the home Brendan, Did you have an opportunity to save it? Uh, well, we, Brendan came at me and we thought that that's what we would do. Could I get an extension? Pay what I can just to keep a roof over our head. The strike's not going to last forever. They didn't give it. So the home was taken off me and they gave me a council flat down in the same area with one bedroom. But I wasn't coming out of there crying or... I was sad for a short while, but... You know, I had to focus on why was I doing this? Why was I letting my home go? Because I was doing it because of the horrendous life that children my daughter's age were having. In, in South, South Africa. Africa. And adults like myself. As in well, South Africa. Purely because, as I said, I couldn't get over this thing of the colour of your skin. Just purely. Did you get a lot of hassle from other family members? Did they understand this decision you they, were making? They actually just didn't talk about it. Because if I talked about it to them, they had to realise what was going on and they had to be more supportive than what they were. But my mother was very supportive, very, very supportive. So she's told me to stop paying the mortgage. You're not going anywhere. Just keep the money for yourself. They're going to take it from you. I've seen things happen, people, she said. And in the end, the, the banks always win. Was there a moment, Mary, where you thought, I can't do this anymore? I think over the time of the strike, everybody got a period yeah. of time where they were like down. So we'd rally around each other. So you'd know that someone was looking that they weren't very happy or they were upset about something and we'd all rally around. And I think because it was such a small group of people, that was a benefit for us in the end because we were so close, became so close. It, it was just a really tight-knit bond. We knew what each other were thinking and we knew if someone was down you'd just take them off for a cup of tea. I wouldn't say there was any time where I actually thought I'm going to go back because I never thought mm. that. I actually thought at one stage that it would end that we'd all just have to walk away. There was no end in sight. There was no one that wanted to do anything for us. Like it really was bleak and it was hot, cold weather and we were getting £23 a month. But people started to give us some support. And then again, it was Bishop Tutu and the second time when he invited us to go over to South Africa. Was that to give you an opportunity to see what you were actually striking for, the kind of situation? Yeah, he wanted to bring us around to the townships and stuff and show us what people are living in. We obviously hadn't got the money. And you were going to have to fund it yourself? We went we went around the pubs on, on a fr- two, I think it's three Friday nights we did it. What, in Dublin? Yeah. yeah. And then we had an American guy, and I can't for the life of me remember what his name was, but he donated something towards the trip as well. So eventually we got the money to go. Well, for all of you? I didn't you go. You didn't go? You didn't go, Vonnie? No. I think it was Tommy, Sandra, myself, Karen, Liz. Right. The six or seven of us went. 
We had to fly from London or Dublin to London and then we were going London to Johannesburg. Yeah. And we got in early because our flight was early and we went and we got our boarding passes, put our cases in. This is in London? In Heathrow. And then after a while, we were travelling with British Airways and they came over and asked, were we travelling? And we said, yeah, but you're not going to be allowed on. You don't have a visa to go to South Africa, so you're not going to be allowed to go into the country. So can you take your bags and can you claim it? And we said, no, we're not like identifying our bags. And anyway, at that stage, an Irish person with an Irish passport did not need a did visa. Did not need a visa. And I don't think actually Michelle was traveling on a British passport, so I don't right. think British people did either. Now, you've got to remember as well, as I said before, no mobile phones. I went to a payphone. We all did. We were three hours being told we weren't going to be allowed on the flight. I rang home, my next door neighbour, because we didn't have a phone, said, look, I'll probably be home tomorrow because I'm not letting us on the flight. And then within a few minutes, they came. Actually, what they did was they sent Leo Evans from the South African embassy out to the airport to tell us that we weren't going to be allowed into South Africa because we didn't have visas. And we said, we don't need a visa. So it took three hours. Was the flight still on tarmac? Yeah, and what they didn't know was that we had journalists that were traveling with us who had been allowed to go onto the flight. And after three hours, they literally ran us down onto the flight, but they separated us all. So none of us were sitting together. And what we found out later from the journalist was that the captain had come onto the flight and said that they were sorry for the delay, but there's people who were refusing to board. So you can imagine sitting beside someone after an eight-hour flight who thought that you were after this delaying the flight. refused. Yeah. 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 And then the flight eventually took off. Took off. Went down to Joburg. Yeah. yeah. We getting off the plane, there was loads of soldiers around, armed soldiers, and we kind of thought, maybe it's normal. We didn't really know, like we'd never yeah. been there before. So we went into the terminal and these armed soldiers with machine guns came over to us and said, are you the group travelling from Dublin? And we said, yes. And they said, follow us. So up these flights of stairs, at one stage there was 32 armed guards with us. There was some before us and some behind us brought us up to this room. We'd heard so many stories at this stage of people yeah. falling out police windows and being killed and never being seen again. And at this stage, nobody knew where we were because we'd rang home and said, we're going to be home tomorrow because they're not letting us on the flight. So we didn't have time to ring and say, we're Of course. Going. I mean, it's what, a 10, yeah. 12 hour flight down yeah. to South Africa? Yeah. yeah. So there was no Irish embassy there at the time. There was the consulate was there. So they wouldn't even come to talk to us. They brought our suitcases up and searched everything, like took everything apart. They eventually sent us some food. We were there. We were held for about eight or nine hours, I think it was. And then we were sent back on the next flight. So we had a day trip out to South Africa. But they said you were terrorists. Oh, no, that's what happened in the media reported over there, that we were terrorists. terrorists. And the front page of the Irish Independent, I think the next day was, we were the most dangerous shop workers in the world. Then Brendan always quoted <laughs> that. <laughs> so my parents so you, woke you... up that day. They thought I was in London and they woke up to seeing that we were being held in South Africa. Were you scared, Mary, at that time? Scared shitless at times. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh. for a while we were. After a few hours, they gave us food and we thought, grand. So we started to sing a few rebel songs and we started to kind of get a bit more brave. <laughs> and then we were put back onto the, the plane. And as they were going up the stairs, Karen turned Karen. around and said, we'll be back when South Africa is free and stood at the top of the stairs of the plane. And Sandra pushed her and said, get on that fucking plane. We're never going <laughs> So, sorry, I'm sorry I shouldn't be using the language. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they sent us back and then we arrived in London and they actually said to us, can you hang on here? And we thought, oh no, here we go again. But they actually brought us in for a press conference. So at the time we thought that we'd get in and we'd get a bit of publicity for it. The biggest publicity that they could have ever done was to not let us in. 
because right, okay. people then yeah, started yeah, yeah. to ask, what what's this about? Of? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they did us a favour, even though at the time we didn't think it was a favour. Of course They not. did us a favour by doing that because people started to ask, what are they doing that's so wrong? Yeah. You know, but what is going on over there that they don't want people to see? So again, Mary, like another turning point, like you said, the arrival yeah. of Nimrod, there are various stages that it started yeah. to turn and get bigger and bigger mm. and bigger. Yeah. And I think probably around September, October of the same year, I think the government started to realise we're not going away. So let's leap forward a little bit to the latter stages of the strike. How long did it take before you knew that actually what you were standing for was actually going to make a difference? There was going to be some sort of change. In terms of our government, there was talks with the union and Rory Quinn, he was a Labour TD and he was in government at the time and he pushed for the talks to begin and to try and get some sort of movement on it. And what they did was they said that they would think about it, they were going to make a decision on it, but they asked us to lift a picket. So we didn't want to lift a picket. That meant it was their focus for the past year and a half, two years. And we were afraid that people would forget about it and then the government would forget about it. And we'll put it on the long finger as they do. It would fade into the background. So there's a few marches and stuff in between that time and eventually... They said they're going to ban South African goods, but it's not going to be till next year. But when we tried to go back to work, they wanted us to sign that we would do more or less whatever they wanted. Right. Never refused Change to your goods, right. yeah, okay. which we wouldn't do. So then we had to go back out again and we right. didn't go back mm. in until April. How long were you out on strike for? Two years and nine months. Two years and nine months. The strike lasted for two years and nine months. Yeah, yeah. July 1984 Four. to April 1987. For you, Vonnie and Mary, was it worth it? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, That's only three years out of our life, yeah. remember. You know, these people are putting I, up with this from birth yeah. Yeah. to death. It's something I think we're all very proud of. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not something I go around shouting about, but I often think of the people who didn't go out and how they would feel, especially when they think about what it was that we were standing for. We weren't getting anything of this. Nothing was going like, to benefit us. That was probably the most telling thing about the strike was we weren't going out for pay. We weren't going no. there for conditions for us. It was for other people. You were going out for people. Yeah, and I wondered halfway through, why is other people not helping these people? For me, anyway, it's something that just in here, in your heart, you know, I did the right thing. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask Mary Manning, would you do it again? For sure. <laughs> you do it a bit more intelligent. You'd know what to do, but... For 100% would we'll do. Bonnie Monroe. Yeah, you, there's different steps you could have taken. We yeah. could take now. But we we know learned that a lot. <laughs> we, we know how to do it right this time, if we were to do it again. <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Two years and nine months on strike. Just let that sink in for a moment. And imagine, if you can, the sheer stamina required for Bonnie Monroe Mary Manning and their fellow strikers to do what they did. Thank you to Mary and Vonnie for agreeing to take part in this podcast and for sharing with us a wonderful insight into those days in the early 80s in Dublin when you and your fellow shop workers decided to make a stand. In the next episode of Activism in the 80s, we find out about what life was like for black South Africans living under apartheid. Highly segregated beaches in Cape Town 
So there was the perverse experience of doing something really joyful, i.e. going to the beach, mm -hmm. but at the same time experience the humiliations that go with going to a segregated beach. And of course it doesn't take a genius to work out that the best beaches were not available to black people. Activism in the 80s is a podcast series recorded in response to the play Strike, written by Tracy Ryan and produced by Ardent Theatre Company at the Southwark Playhouse London in April 2023. This series has been funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and was produced by Creative Kin.